Welcome to Beyond Your Newsfeed, Understanding Contemporary Politics, a podcast of the Political Science Department of Providence College. My name is William Hudson. I'm chair of the Political Science Department at PC and host of this podcast. Any opinions expressed on this podcast are my own or those of my guest. We're continuing our analysis of the upcoming midterm elections today, and we want to take a look at uh, one group of uh, uh, voters, Latino voters who are likely to have a significant impact on this midterm election. Uh, We've seen that there are a number of new Latina candidates who have made a splash in the news, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Julia Salazar in New York, defeated some establishment Democrats in primaries over the summer. Uh, We also know that uh, Latino voters are likely to be and have an important impact on the races of a number of states, such as Florida and Texas. And President Trump's anti-immigrant actions and rhetoric are widely believed to be of special concern to Latin voters and potentially will mobilize them to to turn out in this election. To get some perspective on uh, the impact of Latinos on the upcoming election and in more general ways that Latino citizens are shaping American politics, I have asked a leading expert on Latino politics in the United States, my colleague Tony Afina, to join us. Professor Afina is a graduate of Brown University, where he also earned his PhD. He has been a member of the Providence College faculty since 1991 and has served as department chair and as founding director of the Black Studies Program. Tony has published widely on Latino politics, including his book, Latino Politics in Ciencia Politica, The Search for Latino Identity and Racial Consciousness. He currently serves as book review editor for the Journal of Race, Ethnicity, and Politics. In addition to his scholarship, Dr. Fina has been a major voice within the political science discipline promoting the study of the politics of race and ethnicity, including Latino politics, and the cultivation of young minority scholars through his service on the board of the American Political Science Association as co-founder of its section on race, ethnicity, and politics, and the Latino Caucus. The association recognized Tony's contributions in these areas in 2011 by awarding him the Frank J. Goodnow Award for Distinguished Service to the Profession. In the, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip over many of Tony's other accomplishments, particularly his many contributions to local government and politics in Rhode Island. I will add, however, that Tony's courses at PC, such as Race and Politics in the Americas and Environmental Politics, are among the most popular and sought after among our students. Tony, thanks for joining us today on Beyond Your News Feed. Well, thank you very much for having me, Bill. Uh, so to begin, uh, Tony, can you enlighten us a little bit about this label, uh, Latino? Uh, exactly who are we talking about when we talk about Latinos in the United States? Latino is a, a label used to describe people living in the United States who are themselves immigrants from or are the descendants of immigrants from the former Spanish colonies in the Americas. Uh, Generally speaking, uh, the largest of the Latino populations are Mexican-Americans. Most Mexican-Americans are uh, either 20th century immigrants or the children or grandchildren of immigrants from Mexico, but a significant number 
are also descended from people who lived in what is now the southwestern region of the United States, from Texas all the way over to California, when that part of the country was conquered in the Mexican-American War. So among Mexican-Americans, we have both uh, families uh, who have been here for several hundred years and also uh, families who have arrived more recently uh, in the 20th and 21st century. The second largest group of Latinos, uh, numbering about uh, 5.6 million, are Puerto Ricans, also uh, who became part of the United States after the Spanish-American War in 1898, when Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Philippines were uh, captured, uh, conquered by the United States after that war. So we have the Mexican-American population today, numbers about 36.7 million, the Puerto Rican population about 5.6. The third largest group are Cuban-Americans, many of whom are refugees from Cuba after 1959 and and their descendants. And the uh, newest and most rapidly growing uh, group among the four largest are people from the Dominican Republic, about 2.1 million people from the Dominican Republic about 2.3 million from Cuba. Uh, We also have large populations from uh, El Salvador, about 2.3 million, uh, Guatemala, about 1.5 million, and Colombia, about 1.2 million. So when we talk about Latinos today, we're talking about the roughly 59 million Americans uh, who uh, can trace their ancestry to one of those former colonies of the Spanish Empire. So, Tony, this sounds like a quite a diverse group, actually, uh, with uh, different national origins, uh, different periods of time when they came to this country. How strong is this identity of Latino among uh, these people, or to what extent might uh, someone identify as a Mexican-American or a Cuban-American uh, in, rather than a Latino? Well, that's one of the core questions of Latino political studies, because uh, there are some differences among groups historically. The experiences which led uh, people to come to the United States are quite different. Uh, Mexicans, uh, Mexican-Americans and Puerto Ricans can both trace their, uh, their uh, existence as U.S. citizens to war when the U.S. conquered uh, northern Mexico, the northern half of Mexico in 1848 and uh, Puerto Rico and and Cuba, 1890s. Uh, But there's also a lot that links Latinos together, uh, even if they come to the U.S. or their ancestors came to the U.S. for different reasons. uh, Latinos tend overwhelmingly to be working-class Americans. They tend to share similar experiences of discrimination in education, employment, housing, and so on. Uh, The Latino poverty rate in 2016 was about 20%. Uh, whereas the non-Hispanic white poverty rate in the U.S. is only about 9%. African-Americans' poverty rate is about 22%. So uh, Latinos, wherever they're from, uh, tend to share the experience of poverty. uh, And for that reason, uh, although Latinos are increasingly moving into the professions and the arts and and, uh, politics, uh, the political center of gravity for the Latino population remains those uh, core issues of income, inequality, uh, education, health care, and so on. So while there are factors, historical factors and cultural factors, which which make the Latino population very diverse, there are also social and economic factors which uh, tend to give them similar views in politics and 
make possible alliance building across ethno-national origin. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a, as a group that's predominantly working class, they also uh, will share a lot of concerns with, uh, with uh, African-Americans uh, and uh, working class white Americans as well. So, so uh, there's possibility of coalition building even outside of the Latino community with these other groups. Exactly. So in, in terms of politics, uh, what can we say about uh, Latinos and their political participation? Uh, uh, I think the general assumption uh, of many commentators is that Latinos are predominantly supportive of the Democratic Party. Uh, to what extent is that true or to, to what extent are there differences among Latinos in terms of their uh, partisan uh, identification? Uh, that is true that Latinos uh, tend to be Democrats uh, uh, in the uh, presidential election of 2016, um, less than one in five Latinos voted for uh, President Trump. Uh, the vast majority of Latinos, uh, almost 80 percent and almost 90 percent in some states, uh, voted for the Democratic candidate. Uh, there is some difference in ethno-national terms. Cuban Americans, uh, who are historically have been concentrated in South Florida, tended to be Republicans. Uh, whereas Mexican-Americans and Puerto Ricans tended to be overwhelmingly democratic. That's still the case, um, and it's still true that uh, the partisan identification of Latinos varies regionally from state to state, from region to region. But increasingly, uh, because of the very bitter attacks on Latinos generally and immigrant Latinos in particular that have emanated from the Republican Party in the last uh, 10 or 12 years, Increasingly, the Latino population is identifying with the Democratic Party. In Colorado in uh, 2012, for instance, uh, when Obama was on the ballot, 87% of Latinos in Colorado voted for Obama. That's approaching levels of support for the Democratic candidate that we historically see among African Americans. Uh, So while there is some diversity, uh, and there are certainly places where uh, Latino Republicans can be found, uh, especially in Texas and Florida, uh, generally speaking, in most of the country, Latinos uh, will be Democrats for policy reasons as well as for uh, political reasons. The, uh, the bigger problem, as you, as you identified, is a question of participation, uh, how many Latinos participate. Uh, we know that in many parts of the country, uh, there are many millions of Latinos eligible to vote. Uh, in Florida, for instance, as of 2017, an estimated 2.7 million Latinos were citizens of voting age and eligible to vote. That's about 18.6% of the Florida electorate. That's a significant chunk of voters. But turnout turnout among those uh, voters tends to be lower than it is for either uh, white or African-American voters. You have similar numbers in Texas, where the Latino population makes up almost 30% of the electorate. Uh, Even here in Rhode Island, the Latino population uh, is about Uh, 10% of the active electorate. Uh, A recent study from Latino Decisions, which is the premier polling firm in the country working with Latinos, found that uh, two months before the elections, uh, this this poll was uh, completed in early September, just two months before the election, 60% of Latino voters reported that they had not been contacted by any campaign, political party, or political organization asking them to either register or vote. Uh, 60% of these millions of Latino voters have not been contacted by any candidate uh, to try to convince them to vote or even to register. 
Uh, so when we talk about Latino participation, as with immigration, there's both a push and a pull factor. There may be reasons for Latinos to voluntarily uh, register to vote and engage in politics, but we also know from political participation research that the most important factor uh, determining whether people will vote or not, even whether they will register, is whether they've been asked to register and vote. Exactly. Uh, so to the extent that both the uh, Democratic and Republican parties um, have not yet made uh, outreach to Latino voters a major priority, uh, we will continue to see relatively low levels of participation by, by Latinos. It's also true, though, that in many of the most important states, uh, and you mentioned some of the elections this year, uh, although the Latino electorate is smaller in most cases than the black or the white electorate, and participation rates tend to be low, those states also are very narrowly balanced in terms of partisanship. So that a place like Florida, uh, in both the gubernatorial race this year and the Senate race, the m potential margin of victory is less than five percentage points. So uh, Latino voters are uh, strategically located in some of the most important political constituencies in the country. And um, as they grow increasingly in engaged in politics, are having uh, a dramatic impact on the outcome of these elections. Uh, I know some time ago, I think back in the days of uh, the George W. Bush presidency, there was a lot of talk among Republicans of somehow appealing to Latino voters. But from what you say, it sounds like that uh, this uh, supposed effort by Republicans to try to appeal to Latinos really never really materialized. Well, the, uh, the report that the Republican National Committee commissioned after the uh, 2012 election to try to um, figure out what went wrong with respect to uh, their national prospects uh, argued for a number of changes in Republican Party positioning and in particular uh, uh, emphatically advocated uh, an outreach to African American and especially Latino voters because Latino voters, partly because of the larger complement of Cuban-American Republicans that have always been part of the Latino electorate, uh, and partly because uh, Latino voters not having been engaged as much as other groups uh, were thought to be more reachable by Republicans, uh, the Republican National Committee, um, I believe they called it an autopsy report, um, <laughs> uh, suggested that the party make significant outreach to Latinos. And there are people in the Republican Party who wanted to do that, but then along came Donald Trump and the emergence of a presidential campaign in 2016 that really revolved around some very um, uh, vicious and off-putting uh, rhetoric about immigrants in general, but Latino immigrants in particular. So although there, there were voices within the Republican Party advocating more effective outreach to Latinos, uh, it never happened. Part of the reason it never happened is because Latinos, uh, as I said earlier, tend to be working class. They tend to be democratic. They tend to be concerned about issues that are much more prominent in the Democratic Party platform than for Republicans, such as health care, uh, Social Security, uh, employment, education, minimum wage, and so on. Uh, the only way to reach out to a population like that would be to offer policy concessions which the Republican Party was simply not willing to make. Uh, it's not enough to say a few words in Spanish or, or, or attend uh, you know, uh, Latino community events and festivals and so on. At a certain point, Latino voters, like all voters, demand policy uh, commitments, and the Republican Party was simply not willing to make those commitments. 
Um, Latino voters are sometimes thought to be more conservative than other voters, uh, and the Republican Party has periodically tried to appeal to Latinos on the basis of uh, positions opposing abortion or opposing same-sex marriage, uh, promoting entrepreneurial business, and so on. The reality is that while Latinos do express um, much more conservative views on some social issues like abortion, same-sex marriage in particular, those issues are not very important to Latino voters. So the, the issues on which Latinos seem to have something in common with Republicans are not very important issues. The issues which are important to Latino voters, education, income, uh, health care, and so on, tend to be issues where the Republican Party is hostile to the policy preferences of Latinos. So uh, it, in, in a way, it's a no-win situation for the Republicans. On the one hand, they have uh, a leader of the party who is openly and, and, and quite stridently anti-Latino, and they also have a policy profile uh, which is not very attractive to Latino voters. But you also seem to suggest that the Democratic Party has not been as effective in mobilizing Latinos as it might be. Uh, do you see any signs of that changing? Is there, uh, and I guess this bring, we need to uh, bring this up to the, the upcoming midterms. Is there signs that the Democrats are focusing uh, on Latino voters uh, to any great degree in this upcoming election? Uh, the Democratic Party is doing more than they have done in the past, and the continued growth of the Latino population uh, means that the, the Democratic Party has lots of incentives uh, to reach out more effectively. Uh, but there's still a long way to go. So let's talk a little bit about some of the key senatorial and gubernatorial races across the country and where you think uh, Latino voter, voters will have a special impact. Uh, well, you mentioned Florida and Texas, but what other places might we uh, look at for some important impacts of Latinos? Well, uh, Nevada and Arizona stand out, um, but before we move away from Florida and Texas, it's, it's worth taking a look at what's happening in those two states. Yeah, certainly. In Florida, there are two very high-profile critical races uh, this year. Uh, one of those is the Senate race where incumbent Bill Nelson is in the fight of his life against uh, former Governor uh, Scott. But uh, in that race, although the most recent polls are showing Nelson up uh, just a little bit, uh, 2.4 points up in the real clear politics average. Uh, among Latinos, um, Nelson is uh, extending his lead over Scott. Uh, the latest polls are 61% for Nelson, 39% for Scott. And that was an increase of almost 10 percentage points over the prior year and a uh, prior month and a half. So whatever's happening in Florida over the last few weeks, it's moving in uh, Senator Nelson's direction. In the gubernatorial race in Florida, the situation is similar. Uh, Ron DeSantis, who was the surprise winner of the Republican nomination for, for governor, uh, is uh, running against Andrew Gillum, the mayor of Tallahassee, the Democrat. Uh, Gillum is the first African-American uh, nominee for statewide office in Florida. Uh, he's been endorsed by Alianza, which is the uh, organization representing Latinos in Central Florida, primarily Puerto Rican uh, Latinos. And at this point, uh, Gillum is significantly ahead among Latinos uh, in Florida, even though it's a, a closer race statewide. Uh, most recently, on October 1st, uh, Governor uh, Ricardo Rosalo, who is the governor of Puerto Rico, 
uh, endorsed both Gillum, the Democratic candidate for governor, and Nelson, the incumbent Democratic candidate for Senate. Uh, since that endorsement, uh, the numbers among Latinos for both Nelson and uh, Gillum have improved, uh, partly because, although Scott has been very visible in, in Puerto Rico, so has Nelson, and the, uh, the close identification that Florida Latinos have uh, the close the the impression they have that uh, former Governor Scott, Florida Governor Scott, and uh, Donald Trump are very close means that uh, Scott is uh, in essence being tied to Trump and all of the things that Trump has done or not done relative to Latinos. Um, Tony, uh, yeah, in, in that regard, uh, what was the impact of the of the hurricane in Puerto Rico? I know a lot of uh, refugees from Puerto Rico uh, went to Florida. Uh, many are still uh, in the state, I, I believe, and and of course are technically eligible to vote as citizens of the United States. Oh yes, uh, and uh, so and and the the way that the Trump handled the administration handled the uh, hurricane is that going to be a factor in the Florida races? Oh yes, it's going to be a big factor. Uh, in addition to the current governor's endorsement, uh, uh, Gillum. And uh, Nelson have also been endorsed by Pedro Rosalo, Ricardo's father, who was a former governor, uh, former governor Garcia Padilla, and the mayors of both San Juan and Ponce, the two largest cities in Puerto Rico. And all of those people in their endorsements, uh, their endorsement statements about Gillum, uh, talked about the neglect uh, that people in Puerto Rico felt coming from the Trump administration. So the Trump administration failed to satisfy people in Puerto Rico, uh, many of whom did have to move to Florida to escape uh, the poor housing and econo- uh, environmental and economic conditions after the hurricane. In fact, there may be as many as 50,000 Puerto Ricans who've moved from the island to uh, central Florida, now, which means that the Puerto Ricans now make up uh, almost half a million voters in Florida. Uh, there are 2.6 million Latinos overall, 9.1 million other voters, uh, white non-Hispanic voters. Uh, so Puerto Ricans make up about 20% of all of the Latino voters in Florida. How does that compare to the cu- Cuban-American community? Uh, the Cuban-American uh, population is still larger uh, than the Puerto Rican population and still predominantly Republican. But among young, younger Cuban-Americans, many of whom have never lived in Cuba, uh, the population is moving increasingly towards Democrats for the same reason that other mm-hmm. Latinos have moved there. Most of the high-profile Cuban-American politicians in Florida now, especially the young ones, are Democrats. Uh, Marco Rubio is a highest-profile Cuban-American politician who is still in the Republican Party. But if you go down the ranks uh, to the county, uh, oh. county government and municipal government, uh, Miami-Dade County, uh, most of the up-and-coming Cuban-American politicians, especially in southeast Florida, are actually Democrats. Um, there are about 75,000 new Latino registrants in Florida in just the last month, and about 60% of them are, in fact, Puerto Rican. So you have two things happening in Florida with respect to Latinos, which is leading to that 61 mm-hmm. split in favor of the Democrat. Uh, one of those is that the Cuban-American population, which was reliably, reliably Republican, is aging out of the electorate. Um, younger Cuban-Americans are leaning towards Democrats. And you also have the explosive growth of the Puerto Rican population, not just in the last uh, several months or last year, but going back uh, 10 years or more, so that the population of 
central Florida, around Orlando, the Kissimmee uh, Valley, uh, the Latinos there are overwhelmingly Puerto Rican. They're overwhelmingly Democratic. Uh, in Texas, uh, you have a slightly different situation. In Texas, you also have a couple of high-profile races. You have the a very tight Senate race between incumbent uh, Ted Cruz and uh, Beto O'Rourke, who is a Latino, Mexican-American. Uh, you also have in the gubernatorial race, incumbent Governor Abbott uh, is being challenged by Lupe Valdez, a woman from Dallas. She is the only Latina sheriff. She, uh, she's no longer sheriff, but she was elected sheriff of Dallas County. She was the only uh, Latina sheriff in the country, and she was one of the highest-ranking uh, LGBTQ uh, elected officials in the country as well. Uh, she is trailing Abbott by about 20 percentage points, although she does have strong support among Latinos. In the Senate race uh, between Beto O'Rourke and uh, Ted Cruz, uh, most observers rate that as a toss-up. One of the reasons it's a toss-up is that Beto has very effectively uh, mobilized the Mexican-American population in South Texas. And he, he speaks Spanish fluently, right? And uh, Cruz does not. That's correct. That's correct. And uh, as with other voters, uh, as I said earlier, Latinos uh, are more concerned about policy stances than they are about ethnicity. There was a time when a Latino candidate for office was quite rare. And during those years, uh, those early candidates could count on strong support from Latinos without much attention to policy uh, positions or even party. Uh, that's why there's so many Republican Latino elected officials in a place like Texas, uh, some in uh, California, some in Florida, is because uh, many of them were elected to office at a time when uh, Latino candidates were uh, difficult to find and Latino voters were willing to give them support. As the Latino electorate has matured over the last two or three decades, uh, Latino voters have become uh, a lot more uh, selective in their preferences and we have strong evidence that uh, even when a Latino candidate is on the ballot, um, in most cases as a Republican, Latino voters will vote for a non-Latino Democrat uh, based on policy position, not on ethnicity. So Latino voters have become, over the last several decades, very strategic in their voting and uh, insistent that candidates who want their support need to earn it uh, by appealing to uh, Latino interests in education, housing, health care, environment, and so on. Tony, usually when we think about uh, Latino impact at the state level, we think about states like Texas or Arizona or California or Florida, but uh, certainly the Latino population is uh, uh, present uh, all across the country and in, in, uh, in, in many other states. Uh, what about a state like uh, uh, Georgia or Alabama, uh, where there are growing numbers of Latino voters? Uh, are Latino voters likely to have some impact in, in those states? They will have an impact. Uh, the gubernatorial election in Georgia, uh, uh, pitting uh, Stacey Abrams, in which Stacey Abrams is a Democratic candidate, uh, the first African-American woman ever nominated by uh, uh, one of the two major parties in Georgia, um, is reaching out to a certain extent to the Latino population uh, in Georgia again, it's partly on the basis of partisanship because most Georgia Latinos are Democrats, but it's also on the basis of policies. Uh, she has had a strong progressive stance throughout her political career, and uh, Latinos tend to be overwhelmingly uh, liberal and pro or even progressive in their uh, policy positions. Young Latinos in particular, the Latinos under the age of 35, 
are the single um, uh, most progressive identifiable voting bloc in the United States. Uh, more progressive on questions of economic fairness, uh, healthcare, environment, same-sex marriage, and so on, than virtually any other, any other group that you can identify. So to the extent that people like Stacey Abrams in a place like Georgia uh, reach out to those young Latinos on the basis of partisanship as well as policy, she will do quite well. But as the Latino decision study from a couple of months ago shows, uh, it won't happen automatically. The candidates who want Latino votes really need to work to get them. Between 2000 and 2010, the fastest growing Latino populations in the country were all in the Deep South. Uh, the fastest growing Latino population was in South Carolina, of all places. So uh, between 2000 and 2010, the Latino population grew in all 50 states. Mm -hmm. There was not a single place in the country where Latino population didn't increase uh, in those 10 years. The population increase has slowed a bit, uh, but it's still growing uh, quite rapidly. And uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida are places where Latino voters will be increasingly significant. Even here in Rhode Island, uh, where the uh, uh, citizen voting age population is just shy of 800,000 people, uh, Latinos are about 75,000. Uh, that is citizen voting age uh, Latinos. That's about 9.5% of the total uh, compared to 5% African American. So already in Rhode Island, the Latino electorate is potentially uh, almost twice the size of the African-American electorate. And what we know about Latinos, again, is that when Latinos register to vote, once they become registered, they are just as likely to vote as any other group. Mm -hmm. The problem is getting to that point of registration and all of the hurdles that any right. individual, but in particular Latinos, need to go through. Uh, so in states outside the traditionally Hispanic-oriented uh, states, Texas, Florida, Illinois, New York, the five largest states in the country are also the states that have the largest Latino populations. Um, and out, but outside those states, the same rules apply. Appeal to Latinos on the basis of policies as well as partisanship and actually reach out to Latinos to encourage them to register and to vote. Well, Tony, it's certainly clear that uh, the Latino population is uh, going to be more and more significant uh, uh, in the future. Uh, just to wind up our discussion here today, uh, in terms of the election uh, coming up in a, in a few weeks, uh, are there particular Latino candidates that, uh, that have sort of emerged that we should watch uh, in the future uh, who might uh, become uh, uh, prominent or uh, in, in, in future races? Well, Beto O'Rourke, uh, certainly in Texas, is, uh, is uh, uh, likely to be a, uh, an important figure on the national stage, whether he wins or not. Uh, Lupe Valdez, also in Texas, um, hundreds of Latino candidates in California working their way up through, uh, through the political system from the local level to state level uh, to statewide. Um, you mentioned a couple in New York, uh, uh, Julia Salazar, I believe. Uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez and, Ocasio and Julia Salazar. Right? Yeah, uh, they're definitely uh, people to watch. Uh, there are thousands of Latino candidates running for elective office all over the country in every election. Um, the media does not give as much attention to those candidates as they might until they reach the level of a Beto O'Rourke or, or Lupe Valdez. Uh, but I believe that as time goes on, the media and the political parties, uh, especially the Democratic Party, will be paying much more attention to these uh, successful and charismatic Latino candidates who've been running for office all up and down the political structure. 
Well, thanks so much, Tony. You've certainly enlightened us about uh, the role that Latinos play in American politics. Any final thoughts about the upcoming election of Latinos that you want to leave us with? Uh, no, uh, like everybody else, I'm waiting to uh, see what happens. Uh, right now, the generic ballot uh, uh, is averaging about 13 points in favor of the Democratic Party. Uh, that's averaging all of the, that's real clear politics average of all of the generic ballot polls that have been done over the last uh, several months. Uh, that suggests more than a, a, a blue wave, that suggests a blue tsunami. Uh, if the Democratic Party performs as well on Election Day as those uh, generic ballot polls suggest, uh, then they could pick up between 40 and 60 seats in the House of Representatives. That will bring many Latinos into positions of leadership in the U.S. Congress, Latinos who are already serving uh, as senior uh, minority party members of committees and subcommittees will find themselves in a position not only to uh, devise policy and recommend policy to the Congress, but perhaps more importantly, given the fact that the Senate may still remain in the hands of the Republicans, as will the White House, and apparently the Supreme Court as well, uh, those positions of leadership will put them in a position to conduct investigations, uh, to subpoena witnesses, to subpoena documents, and to uh, find out as much as they can during their years in leadership about um, how, th how we got where we are today. So whether or not the election uh, brings the Democratic Party to power in the U.S. House of Representatives will determine whether or not many of those uh, high-profile Latino elected officials uh, can really flex their muscles and, and exercise both the policy and political power that uh, leadership seats in the Congress can bring. Well, thanks so much, uh, Professor Tony Afina, for telling us about uh, Latinos in American politics. Uh, I want to thank uh, again... Uh, Chris Judge of the Office of uh, Marketing and Communications at Providence College for providing technical support, and uh, Associate Vice President Joe Carr of Marketing and Communications for supporting uh, this podcast. And thanks especially to our listeners of Beyond Your News Free Feed. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't yet subscribed, and please tell your friends about this new podcast. We look forward to being with you in a few weeks for at least one more uh, podcast about the uh, midterm elections coming up on November 6th. And uh, register to vote if you have not yet done so.